Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Even the darkest days are temporary, but but they don't feel temporary when you're in the middle of them, do they? That darkness that we experience in life, and every one of us experience it, sometimes in pockets, sometimes in stretched moments, it's evidence that we find ourselves in exile. I don't want to talk about that tonight. In fact, um, it's interesting. There's a a song written in 1970 by a a Jamaican reggae band, and it was uh, a song called By the Rivers of Babylon. It was kind of made famous by this band named Boney M. Now, I was born in 1970, so I don't know them. I was just a kid, but some of you do. And they wrote the words. They took it from a psalm, an exilic psalm uh, of exile, Psalm 137. Here are the words that were written. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept, When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? What was going on here was the children of God find themselves in captivity in Babylon for over 70 years, far from their home. Last week, Dr. Van got us off to a start in our series, Moving Forward, the the Spirit to Overcome the Future. And in it, he gave us three principles of biblical history. And these are really important. I mean, you may be a Christian, you may have been around Christianity, you may have been born into it, but understanding these three principles help you to frame who we are and where we're going. This is really critical to understanding. A lot of Christians that we hear in the media and sound bites today, uh, they have a misunderstanding of who they are and where we're going. So the first principle was simply this, that there is a spirit, God's spirit, and there's chaos in this world. And in this, uh, Dr. Van tried to answer that question, like, is the world getting better or is it getting worse? I love this answer. Both both. Man, the chaos in this world is palatable, isn't it? Uh, I go on my Twitter feed and, I, and all, it feels like that's all that comes at me. There's chaos all around us. There may be chaos going on in your world right now, at work, at home, in a relationship. Something just feels chaotic. I have some good news though for you because where the spirit is hovering over chaos, chaos always recedes. Why? Because the spirit is greater than our chaos. The spirit is greater than our chaos. The second, or the third principle that he gave us was the clash of clans between Christ and Adam. Now, if you're new and you didn't pick up last week, let me explain what this means. That there's a conflict happening in this world between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And when Jesus arrived, when Christ arrived on this world, he came in and he butted up against the kingdom of this world. It was like the future came into the present. What will be came into the present. And the kingdom of the world resists the work of Jesus. And of course, as Christians, we're stuck in between it. We're in this world, but we're not of it. 
We're a part of the kingdom of this world. We're in it. But now we're a part of the kingdom of God. There's a conflict that happens here. I'm going to try to answer this question. Do we really belong here? Is this really our home? And the answer is yes. And no. Both. Isn't that frustrating? I think you're going to hear a lot of that through the series because we live in a tension here. So the way I want to unpack and answer this question is I want to hit on the second biblical principle, historical principle and perspective that Dr. Van gave us. And it's the understanding what exile and exodus is. See, uh, this is a, a thought that informs Jewish theology and Christian understanding. The children of God find themselves in exile. They're in captivity. They're in the chaos of captivity of the Egyptian empire. And they experience an exodus moment where they come out. Here's how you can understand the two words. Basically, exile equals captivity. So, uh, Adam and Eve, our first ancestors, choose to build their life around their own self-interests, and they're exiled out of the Garden of Eden. The children of God find themselves exiled in Egypt. Uh, as we read in Psalm 137, hundreds of years later, 500 years before Jesus walked this earth, the children of God again are in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And it says because, it was because they had forsaken God. They had turned away from God. And they find themselves in exile. But we know there's an exodus moment. Moses is raised up. He comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he leads them out of captivity, out of the chaos of captivity. He leads them into freedom, into the promised land. 500 years before Jesus, the Persian emperor Cyrus conquers the Babylonian kingdom and he sets God's people free and he sends them back to Israel. An exodus. And in the New Testament... Jesus comes to finally undo what Adam and Eve did that has had damaging effect for all of us. And we all choose. I'm not just blaming Adam and Eve. I choose this in my life. We've often chosen chaos over life, chaos over the spirit. And so we live in this reality right now. And it, these are important to understand who we are and where we're going. So are we people in exile or exodus? Both. Because the future is colliding with the present right now. And so, consequently, you and I both, we have moments where we are experiencing freedom. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know what I mean. There's this moment of being freed. Freed from the sin that entangled us. Free from our past. Free to be new in Christ. And yet, we also are experiencing the captivity of our past now. The future is now and the past is now. So no matter what exile moments you might be experiencing, I think there, if you're listening today, some of you have some chaos going in your life. You have exile moments that really look like the brokenness of the kingdom of this world. You're experiencing your relationships. You're experiencing it in the workplace. You're experiencing it maybe spiritually or even emotionally. I've got great news. And the great news is simply this. Wherever Jesus' spirit is, there is exodus. Wherever Jesus' spirit is, there's exodus, there's freedom. So at the end of our gathering, we're going to be praying for anyone who's just finding themselves in a place of exile right now. We'll be praying for an exodus moment for you, a moment where you experience true freedom. So here's the difference, though, and here's the, the rub for all of us. 
we live in the here and not yet. We live in the kingdom of this world, but as citizens of another world. What do I mean by this? Well, the apostle Peter, you know, maybe the biggest extrovert of Jesus' followers, he wrote a letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he talks about this. He talks about the fact that we're living in exile right now. Here's how he puts it. He says this, I beg you, as those whom I love, to live in this world as, say it out loud with me wherever you are, strangers and aliens. To live in this world as strangers and aliens, to keep clear of the desires of your lower natures, for they are always at war with your souls. So we're in this tension. This, this conflict is happening in us as people of God, even as we're in this world. And he says we're to live as strangers and aliens. What does he even mean by that? Well, let's tackle this because these are really important concepts to be able to understand our standing in Christ in this world. So I'm going to start with aliens and then I'm going to go to strangers. Basically, the concept of being an alien means that you're in a place where your citizenship is not. So if you've ever immigrated to Canada or experienced any of that, at one point, you've been an alien. You weren't a Canadian citizen. You may have been a citizen of another nation, nation, but you're in this nation. So you're here, but you're not of here. It's a strange relationship you find yourself in. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And I want you to understand, the, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and he uses a very interesting word here. He says this, but our citizenship, this Greek word means politics. Our citizenship is in heaven. What Paul is saying, basically this, that, that our citizenship and, or our politics is in heaven. That how we live our life here should be determined by the politics of heaven, not by the politics of this world. It's a very different thing he's calling us to. We're called to be aliens. That this is not where our citizenship is. Now, Peter and Paul talks this way. If you read the New Testament, you realize Paul talks about this, Peter talks about this. The reason was, when they were around, uh, there was city-states everywhere in the then-known world. And city-states operated often like nations. And each city-state would have laws, laws that you would have to abide by, and also benefits that you enjoyed by being a citizen of that city. And here's the interesting thing in Paul and Peter's day. No matter where you traveled in the world, you were governed by the laws of your city. So uh, there's a famous story in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul finds himself in prison. Now, Paul is a citizen of Rome. And a unique aspect of Roman law at that time was this. You couldn't imprison a Roman citizen without a proper trial. Now, in Canada... You might find yourself temporarily in jail until the trial and then a determination about what the verdict would be. Not, not, not in Roman days. Instead, you were free until the trial and whatever determination came after that would be ex exacted on you. So Paul finds himself in a Philippian jail without a trial. And he calls the jailer over, he whispers in his ear, uh, I'm a Roman citizen. All of a sudden, the jailer, the city officials, everyone begins to quake and tremble. Why? Because they're breaking the law of Rome. There are consequences to this. So what Peter's driving at here, he's really driving at what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian. It means that there's a moment when you become a Christian, your citizenship is transferred from this world to the next. 
you become a person of the future. You become a person of the exodus. You become a person of freedom. Your citizenship is transferred from this world to the next world. Now you have the rights and privileges and responsibilities of the kingdom of God. That's what we get there. I, I was thinking about this week because I, I was packing away. I was organizing a bunch of things that came across my passport. I don't know how many, I, probably all of you have a passport of sorts. And if you don't, I think there's long lineups right now. In this passport, when you open it up, at the bottom it says, the bearer of this passport is a Canadian citizen. And it talks about some of the rights and privileges. Uh, this little piece of paper gets me in places, provides some level of protection for me, some privileges, certainly some responsibilities that come with being a citizen in Canada. A lot of that, we're card I'm a card-carrying Canadian. That's kind of my identity. That's my citizenship. Well, likewise, Tim Keller talks about this in his book, uh, Time in t uh, Hope in Times of Fear. He drives at the same thing Peter, and he's trying to unpack what Peter, the Apostle Peter is saying here. And he says this, that there's fundamentally, what Peter is saying, there's fundamentally a change in your status, in your legal status when you become a Christian. So any of you who've come to Canada, you know there's different statuses that you have in this nation, a landed immigrant, a refugee, whatever it might be. And citizenship is a change in your legal status. And Timothy Keller is saying that's exactly what Peter's driving at here. He's driving at the fact that either you're a Christian or you're not. There's nothing in between. Now, this is going to offend any of us who are more progressive or we, we deal in nuances and degrees. Peter's not dealing in the economy of those. He's dealing in what feels like archaic thinking, narrow-minded thinking. He's dealing in absolutes here. And he says, either you're a Christian or you're not. It'd be like you going up to someone and asking them, are you married? And the person responding, well, I can't say. How can anyone know whether they're married? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I sure hope I am. Who's to say who's married and not married? <laughs> if somebody responded that way, you conclude one, you probably conclude two things. One, this person has no idea what marriage is. And two, they're definitely not married. Why? Because when you're married, you know it. You know you're married. It's a legal status. There's something binding about it. There's some sort of legal status that's been established. And I think the reason that Peter is talking about this in definitive ways is because if we are going to live in exile as people of the kingdom of God, you need some certainties and assurances because there's going to be so many seasons and moments of doubt and difficulty, and we'll get to that in a moment. Things that feel like, uh, man, this is really hard to live this out. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. It's not a crutch in life. It's a calling, and it's, it's, it can be very challenging at times. If you're going to walk that line, live as people of the exodus in exile, then you, you, if you don't have certainties and assurances, you're going to bleed courage and confidence, and you're going to walk through life very fearful. So Peter's trying to provide some absolutes here. It'd be like this. Can you imagine if, if you could jump into a time machine, <laughs> just kind of move it 50 years in the future, and you found yourself sitting at a dinner table. Maybe your kids are there, they're grown adults, and you have grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. You imagine if there's food and just, you've lived a wonderful life. You can see it now. 
and you came back to 2022, and next week your doctor pulled you in and said, listen, uh, you have a terminal illness. I'm giving you two weeks to live. Now, you'd be jarred in the moment, maybe, because those are words none of us want to hear, but then you'd remember, wait, 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 wait. I know the future. I must get through this because I know what the future looks like. That's what Peter's driving at. For the Christian, they are people of the future. It's like they know, they have assurances already. You can face whatever comes your way because you know the future. Being a Christian gives you that sort of standing, that confidence in life. Our pastor Keith, our teaching pastor, often says, you can't kill a Christian, you can just relocate them. <laughs> you can just relocate them. There's an assurance of what is yet to come. You can face tomorrow and you can find strength for today in your standing as a citizen of heaven, a follower of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of people, an awful lot of people, that wouldn't like this talk. You might be one of them. Because all, often, especially in our day and age, we prefer nuances than over absolutes. We certainly do. Uh, but Peter doesn't give us any room here. He doesn't say, he says, there's no room for, I hope I'm a Christian. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. He doesn't give us any room for that. Here's why. It sounds enlightened. It sounds humble to deal in nuance and degrees. And as I mentioned earlier, it sounds very narrow-minded and archaic to deal in absolutes. But underneath it all is a missed a misplaced, misguided belief in the good news and the gospel. And I see this all over in Christendom today, where Christianity has been defined by a type of morality and goodness. And then you have the morality police and everything going on around, uh, as if that was the kernel and the, the sustenance of what being a Christian was. Uh, when Peter says this, he, he defines it not as strictly about morality and goodness, but about legal standing. And I love how, again, Timothy Keller in his book, he unpacks it this way. He says this, the essence of Christianity is not morality and a goodness that you give to God in order to be accepted. And all the religion teaches us that. Get your life cleaned up, you know, and, and then you're accepted by God. But a morality and goodness that God gives to you in order to be accepted. It's the difference between striving and resting. You can rest in what Christ has done for you. I'll never do enough of this well to earn acceptance by God. But I can open my hands and receive his record of morality and goodness. And then I receive through grace, I'm accepted by God. You see the difference? It's two completely different religions. Two completely, one of works, one of faith. Two completely understanding differences. Uh, the, there's a moment when you're not a Christian and there's a moment and an instance in which you are. And at the end of our gathering, I ought to be praying for anyone who wants to transfer their citizenship from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. I'm gonna do that at the end of our gathering. Now, I'm not trying to say that there's a moment where, because you know, some people become Christians and they can't identify the exact moment. But there always is a moment when you cross over. There's a moment when you weren't a Christian and when you become a Christian. And it's when you stop trusting in your own morality and your own goodness and you start trusting in what Jesus has done for you. That's the moment when your citizenship is transferred to heaven and you become an alien in this world. 
And then Peter also said, we're, we're strangers. He said, we're strangers. <laughs> this is an interesting term. And the term he uses here helps us understand how we experience this world. We're strangers in this world. There's an element of suffering when you're a stranger. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit with you. See, Jesus said this. He said, as you sent me into the world, and he's talking to his Father in heaven, I have sent them into the world. Listen, we're not against this world. Christians shouldn't be. Christians should be for this world. That's why we organized the Love Army to do acts of goodness in our city, to be an unignorable force of good in this city. Why? Because we're trying to do what Jesus would do when he walked among us. Love people really well. Demonstrate kindness. Do goodness. Do charity. Love the people that God has surrounded us with. It's a beautiful gift he gives us. That's part of our calling. But Jesus goes on and he says also this. If the world hates you, and he's talking to you and me, and he was talking to his disciples, keep in mind it hated me first. Now why did the world hate him? Why would the world hate us? Why is there suffering in this relationship? Because you're a stranger now. You don't quite belong now. Things have changed. We experience a level of suffering in exile. Good Christians, all types of Christians, every human being experiences suffering in, in exile. But it can be confusing when you're a person of the exodus. When, you, when you're a person of the kingdom of God and, and you see all these rights and privileges and these promises that God gives his people and you're going like, but why am I suffering in this moment? I must have done something wrong. Have you ever had someone say that to you? Uh, no, no, no. You're in exile, friend. You're in exile. And there's a tension that happens here. We live as strangers here in a place we once belonged. Uh, in the month of July, Shelley and I went back to New Brunswick. This is a picture of uh, our family's favorite beach. It's called... Saints Rest Beach. And we did what we always did with our boys and our family. Uh, we grabbed some pizzas and we went down to this beach and spent a wonderful evening together. But we, we had an incredible time. We, we walked the streets of that historically old, beautiful city. We ate the foods of our youth. <laughs> we, we, uh, we went to our old haunts and saw the places we were, we were raised. We, we saw family. It was, it was wonderful. But strange. You see, Shelley and I have lived in Halifax. We lived in Montreal. We lived longer in Toronto than we ever lived in St. John, New Brunswick. We've traveled the world. Our perspective has changed. Our taste buds have changed. Our likes and dislikes have changed. And it was strange to be back there where we know the streets so well. We know so many things so well. And yet we were in New Brunswick, but not of New Brunswick anymore. And there's a sense of sadness somewhat in that. There's a sense of suffering when you realize that maybe people who stayed there their whole life don't quite understand us. We, we become strangers. We become different. See, we suffer because we no longer belong. We belong to a different kingdom. And we also suffer because we're people of the exodus. But if you're like me, I was raised in the kingdom of this world. I have all these habits, these desires, these things that lurk inside of me that are destructive. They're the residue of the previous kingdom. Even though my citizenship is there, sometimes I act more like a native kingdom of the world person instead of a kingdom of the heaven. See, there's a cycle. If you read the Old Testament, you realize there's a cycle between exile and exodus, and then exile and exodus. And then God's people kind of exile because they're 
they're disobeying, they're, do, they're doing whatever they want to do, and then, then there's an exodus, and they come out of it, and they're free. It keeps going. Well, in your life too, friend, there's that same cycle happening, that loop that happens in our life of captivity and freedom, captivity and freedom. The Apostle Paul talks about being captive to sin, uh, to, to be controlled by it, to be enslaved to it. And even though we've been set free from the power of sin, that's the kingdom of God at work in our lives. The residue of all those appetites that we have, those habits that we have that are destructive, that are hurtful to other people and ourselves, and even hurtful in our relationship to God, it still exists there. I, I love this quote. Sin is the promise of freedom that takes freedom away. Sin is an over-amplification of good things. I'm going to explain that in a minute. And it promises you freedom. No more restrictions. That's a, restrictions so, so, so 1990, so 1980, so 1970, all those rules, ex, restrictions. And not all of them were good. Not all of them were even biblical. But religion has a way of adding a lot of stuff on it. You got to be very careful with religion because it'll take something here and it'll add on a whole framework that you're never going to obtain. But, but it's not just that. It promised you freedom. I have no more restrictions. And it's a guarantee that you'll lose your freedom. That there's a safety in understanding, as Paul says, you work out your salvation. You work out your citizenship. That you're now challenging the appetites and tastes of the old kingdom. Because that, that they linger in us. I was thinking about it this week as I was thinking about my love affair with coffee. Uh, if you know me, you know I, I love coffee. And pre-pandemic, Jonathan Smith loved to pour himself in the morning and the afternoon and evening even. Shelley loves it more than I do. But I would pour a nice hot cup of coffee. It's just freshly brewed before this gathering. But I wouldn't just leave it there. I had to add things to it, right? I'd add some table cream. I, you want to get it nice and Nice. And, and then I'd add, now I should have done the sugar first, right? But, but I would add at least one, maybe two teaspoons of sugar, and I'd stir it up, and that would be my cup of coffee. See, that's, that's what, how sin works in our life. We take something good, and we over-amplify it. We add stuff to it. We remove restrictions around it. Why? Because we're trying to get from created things what only God can give us. So during the pandemic, I, just before it, I decided, man, I was going through a lot of sugar and a lot of cream. And like, I'm in my early 50s. I just turned 50. So I thought, I got to change this. So I started to drink my coffee black. And I hated it. Like, I remember the first day I decided to do this. I don't know if you're like me. When I decide something is going to happen, I do it, and I regret it instantly. So I took my first taste, and I thought, I'm never going to drink coffee again if it means giving up this. And this is dessert in a cup. This is bitter. But I decided day two, I'm going to take another cup. And it was amazing. Over time, my taste changed. I couldn't drink that now. I wouldn't drink that now. You'd have to pay me to drink it. It'd have to be a good paycheck too. I love this now. See, when you become a follower of Jesus, we still have appetites from the kingdom of this world. And there are toxins. There are things in those good things 
So there's all kinds of great things that God's created in relationships and food and, and drink and all kinds of great things that God's created for us. And he puts some boundaries around it so we can keep it from toxifying our souls. But we don't like boundaries. I don't like being told what to do. I'm sure you don't like being told what to do. But there's something about when you, over time, and this is the process of discipleship and learning to walk with Jesus and working out your salvation, you begin to crave things for the kingdom of God. Things that don't have those toxins in it. And all of a sudden you realize, you look back and you think, how could I have ever done that? How could I ever have been that person that, that gossiped, that, that cut down people like that? How, why would I ever have participated in that? I, I can't do justice with, with anger that I'm gonna just hurt other people. I'm not gonna become what I don't like in this world. All of a sudden you begin to realize that, that there's reasons why God gives us an alternative path. There's a great writer. His name's Dr. Charles Taylor. And he's a professor at McGill University. And uh, Dr. Van Johnson gave me his book. And it's, it's, if you want to read it, it's called The Secular Age. And it's dense. It's not very accessible, but it's a very, very good read. In this book, this professor of, of philosophy at McGill University, he wrote this. He said, our sin is our resistance to going along with God's initiative and making suffering reparative. There's a beautiful verse we love to quote that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And those all things incur, include suffering moments that God uses them to refine us, to, to bind us to our Savior and to help us to fall deeper in love with him. We are deeply drawn towards God, but we also sense how following him will dislocate us and transform us. And this is a great fear of many people hey, I want to follow God. There's a longing in me. I want to follow God, but I am, I'm disturbed. I, I, I'm, I don't want to be dislocated from what, what I love in this life. I, and, and there's this threat of being transformed and changed. And if we're in suffering and pain, we love that. But some of us come to God and it's an intellectual pathway. We've grown up into it. And we have to come to a point where we realize following God means we will be dislocated and we will be transformed beyond recognition. I often think of it this way. The man who married Shelley 29 years ago, um, I'm not that same guy. Things have changed over the years. And a lot of it came, a lot of the change for Shelley and I, even in our marriage relationship, came through suffering. It was hard times, hard moments that refined our friendship and our relationship. But the man who said I do to Shelley is not anything like the, the man that is married to her today. I've changed as I should. And it goes on to say this, we are at war with ourselves. So it is undoubtedly true that the result of sin is much suffering, much suffering. See, as people in exile, we are going to experience difficulties, setbacks, even heartaches. Good people experience this. We're in a place of exile on the way to Exodus. And when Jesus returns someday, and it serves to refine us and bind us to our Savior. It's part of moving forward. But we want a storyline that looks different. Let's be honest, just as we're kind of closing out this gathering. We want a storyline that goes from strength to strength, success to success, 
happily ever after, don't we? We want that in our career path. All the little setbacks, if we think it should move success to success, strength to strength, happily ever after, we're, we're devastated every time there's a setback. Relationally, if we have our happily ever after always in mind, we're devastated when it doesn't work out. And instead, we forget that when you read the Bible, you realize, you begin to see that it's completely different. There's a persistent narrative in the Bible, a pattern of life through death, triumph through weakness. Death, life through death, triumph through weakness. A great, great Christian writer, his name was John Bunyan, he said this, it is said that in some countries trees will grow but will bear no fruit because there is no winter there. Nobody wants a winter season in their life. But I'm 52, and I've been following Jesus a a lot of years now. And I can tell you that some of the most fruitful moments of my life have come on the other side of tough things. Tough moments, hard moments, even harsh moments, heartache. I've wondered, like the best of us, why? Why God? But God has allowed some things as I'm in exile right now that have refined and I'm not done. God is keeping working on me. Winter seasons are different, difficult. They're never welcome in our lives. But friends, we don't level up without them. We don't change without them. It can look like we're losing in this world. It can look like the kingdom of this world is, is dominating the kingdom of God. It can look like it in this world. But you need to understand how the kingdom of God wins, how it wins. There's a Franciscan priest. His name is Richard Rohr. He says this. I I tweeted this out this week because I had to really sit on this one and reread it. Because on Twitter, you see a lot of Christians sometimes getting angry. And maybe it's on Facebook. I'm not on there. But you can see it in our culture and world because they feel like they're losing whatever it might be their status. I I see it when it deals with racial issues in this world. You can see certain cultures feeling like they're losing significance and they get all alarmist about it because they don't really want an equality. They want an equality that keeps them on top. Uh, Well, that's for another message. Here's what this priest said. He said, a crucified God became the logo and central image of our Christian religion. A dying, bleeding, losing man. If that isn't saying you win by losing, what is it going to take for us to get the message? That's a powerful quote. Jesus shows us that the way up while we're in exile is to go down. Christianity is not about winning a culture war. Christianity is not about winning a political war. Christianity is certainly not about winning a moral war. Christianity is about giving up the trophies of this world and grabbing hold the trophies of the kingdom of God and going into this world as servants, rolling up our sleeves and serving the world around us. Not by getting our way, but by showing the way to Jesus. So I want to close in prayer. And I want to pray with two groups of you. If you're listening today, And it would be helpful if you went and listened to last week's message. In this series, they're all going to be very connected. Uh, I I, I want to encourage you, if you want to change your citizenship today, you're not sure if you're a Christian. And maybe it's a little alarming when Peter says, no, 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 there's certainty 
you need to know your standing. If you want to transfer your citizenship tonight, I want to pray with you. And then also, I want to pray with anyone who just finds themselves in chaos, in exile right now. Something's going on in your life. You need the Holy Spirit at work in it because the Spirit is greater than our chaos. And chaos recedes when the Spirit is present. Maybe you need an exodus moment in your life, and we want to pray for that. So if you want to follow Jesus, become a Christian, you can just simply say this prayer with me. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I place my trust in him. I accept his record, his goodness, his righteousness, recognizing that mine would never do enough. Everything falls short. All my good deeds will never be enough to earn my way into the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you have given me a way. Forgive me of all the things I've done that have hurt other people, that have hurt your heart, God, or harmed me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to be a person of the exodus, living in exile while demonstrating what it means to love others just as you did with us. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for any of you who might be here and you're just feeling a lot of chaos in your life, maybe you got a health report. Amen. Maybe you know the future, but it doesn't take away the sting of what's going on right now. Maybe relationally, you just feel like it's chaos all around you. I mean, you can't find a great, great girl, a great guy or something. Something's not working. Or maybe you're in relationship with people and men, you wish you weren't. <laughs> it's that type of chaos. Maybe it's work chaos. There's a lot of frustration. Feels like setbacks. Feels like every time you get ahead, boom. Exile. Let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit into those spaces so he can bring us to an exodus moment. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work inside of all of us. None of us, because we're such broken and perfect people, none of us have the ability even to see Jesus for who he is unless you help us to see him. So Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us. We invite you right now into our chaos. And if you feel comfortable, if you're all alone or just in your own head, just name whatever that area and space in life is where you just feel chaos. Maybe it's spiritually. You just feel like you're wandering. You feel dry. You feel desperate. Maybe it's those relationships. Maybe it's work, whatever. Just invite them into chaos. We invite you into that chaos and we acknowledge that where you are, the chaos recedes. Would you lead us? Would you refine us? Use this moment to refine us, to help us to find how deeply you, you love us. And God, we just pray that supernaturally you'd be at work in our lives, helping us to exit those exile moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.